wonder if God got a plan for everyone I wonder if I could take a second run Cause I carry on getting sad and getting stuck What I wouldn't give for a life that doesn't suck I'm a moving target episode of Letters Unveiled to Crime. This episode will be about Carl Dent, aka the Cannibal of Civita. So without further ado, let's get right into it. So classification, serial killer, characteristics, cannibalism, homicide. Investigators were unable to explain his actions. Number of victims, 30 plus of murders, 1909 to 1924. Of arrest, December 21st, 1924. Of birth, August 12th, 1870. Victims profiled men and women, primarily journeymen and homeless persons. Method of murder, beating with an axe. Location, Munsterberg, Silesia, Germany. Status committed suicide by hanging, him, hanging himself with his suspenders in his cell on December 22nd, 1924. So let's go on to the main bulk. So Carl Denk, August 12th, 1870, December 20th, 1924, was a serial killer from Germany. Denker was born in Munsterberg, Silesia, Germany. Today's Zbigniew in Poland. There was not a great deal of, of information about his early life, but in adulthood he was well liked in his community and worked as an organ player at the local church. On December 20th, 1924, Denke was arrested after attacking a man at his house with an axe. Police searched Denke's home and found human flesh in huge jars of curing salts. A ledger contained the details of 40 people. Denke had murdered and cannibalised over the years. It is thought he even sold the flesh of his victims at the Breslau today's Rocklaw. The day after his arrest, Denke hanged himself in his cell, meaning his exact motives can only be guessed. So Karl Denk, a native of Munsterberg, Silesia, now Zbigniew, Poland, Denke operated a morning a rooming house in his hometown between 1918 and 1924. His tenants affectionately called him Papa, and Denka was also well-liked in the community at large, serving as the organ blower for his local church on the side in three years' time. He also murdered and devoured a minimum of 30 victims. On December 21st, 1924, one of Denka's tenants, a coachman by the name of Gabriel heard cries for help which seemed to emanate from Denke's flat downstairs. Afraid the landlord might be injured, Gabriel rushed down to help and found a young man staggering along the corridor, blood streaming from his open scalp. Before he fell unconscious, the victim blurted out that Papa Denke had attacked him with an axe. Police were summoned and arrested Denke, scouring his flat for evidence. <coughs> they turned up identification papers for 12 travelling gentlemen, plus assorted items of male clothing in the kitchen. Two large tubs held meats pickled in brine, with the assorted bones and pots of fat. Detectives reckoned that it added up to 30, vic- added up to 30 victims. 
more or less. In Denker's ledger, they ha- found listed names and dates with the respective rates of bodies he had picked dating back to 1921. According to the record, he had specialised in slaying beggars, tramps and journeymen, who seemed unlikely to be missed around the neighbourhood. No evidence of sexual assault was ever publicised in Denker's case, and homicide investigators were unable to explain his actions. Shortly after his arrest, the killer hanged himself with his suspenders in his cell, permitting generations of historians to speculate in vain about his motives. This one is called the unusual case or the forgotten cannibal. He wasn't a paraphiliac, nor was he an alcoholic, nothing spectacular about his childhood either. Carl Denk was born, as we've said, on 10th of August 1870 in Upper Kunzendorf, today Gorn in Lower Silesia, and moved to Munsterberg, today Ceviche, 10 years later. He was a somewhat dull, if not retarded child. He quit school and left home at the age of 12 to work as apprentice with a gardener when he turned 25. His father died, his brother took over the family farm, while Carl was given money to buy some land. Being an unsuccessful farmer, he sold the land and bought a house in town on present Stowara Street. However, recession forced him to sell again his property. He was finally left with a little apartment on the first floor and a small shed in the backyard of the house. Denker's first victim was most probably Emma Sander, a 25-year-old girl killed in 1909. However, this was established only 15 years later, after Denker's death. The latter occurred on a Sunday night of December 21, 1924. That day, around 1pm, a man covered in blood went into the local police station. He was visibly terrified and told the officers that it was Carl Denker who tried to kill him with a pickaxe. The policeman could not believe the stranger. Vincent Oliver was a vagabond, while Carl Decker has had a perfect reputation among inhabitants of Munsterberg, a town of 9,000, where everyone knew each other. However, a doctor confirmed that Oliver must have been attacked with a heavy cutting tool. Finally, Denker was arrested. He confirmed attacking Oliver but claimed he was just defending his property from an unknown burglar. A few hours later, Denker's body was found dead. In the police stations, the well-respected citizen hanged himself using a handkerchief. A few days later, on December 24th, the policemen went to Denker's house. In order to describe what they saw there, it is best to refer to the report given by Frederick Petrusky then acting head of the Institute of Legal Medicine in Breslau. The report dates back to 1926 and was published in the Deutsche Schrift für Gesamt Christian Medicine Band 8S702726, here quoted after Mark. The first findings made in in Denker's house during the search were bones and pieces of meat. The latter were in a salt solution found in a wooden drum. They were altogether 15 pieces with skin. Two parts of the breast, which is strongly hairy, the torso is cut through the middle. 
three fingers above the navel. Its lateral limit is the front shoulder blade. In the piece of the anterior abdominal wall, the middle of the navel is visible. The remaining pieces belong to the side and back parts. The largest is about 40 by 20 centimeters large. Particularly striking was a very clean anus with hand large parts of both buttocks. The meat is brownish red and does not feel as if the body would have lost much blood. On the back some soft blush discoloration is visible as well as liver mortis which leads to the conclusion that the disassembly of the body took place several hours after death. <clears throat> there is no evidence of vital reaction of the bodies to the cuts made which means that the latter were not made while the victims were still alive. Nevertheless, some skin and muscles from the necks were missing, as well as extremities, arms and legs. Head and sexual organs lesions could not be determined, nor the nature of death or the tool of crime. In three medium-sized pots filled with cream sauce, some cooked meat, partially covered with skin and human hair was found. The meat was pink and soft. All pieces seemed cut from the gluteal area, buttocks. One part had only half a portion. Denka must have eaten another piece short before being arrested. The last assumption, through logical as it seems, is not proven by the facts. Police found some human meat and one portion was visibly gone but there was nothing to confirm that it was Denke who had eaten it. Equally possible was that he had sold the meat or given it to his guests, although the latter would seem like an unnecessary, unnecessary waste. However, Petrusky points out to other problems with establishing who actually could have eaten that meat. I should like to mention here that there is no evidence that Denke has ever sold the meat of his victims, all evidence had obviously been eaten. However, it seems certain that his guests, his the vagabonds, were offered to eat it. Again, this is only his assumption. Why should Denke rather offer meat to his guests than sell it on the market? By the way, note the interesting fact that Petrusky is writing a report over a year after Denke's death. The legend of selling human meat on the market must have been widespread since the discoveries made in Munsterberg, as the forensic feels in duty to refer to it. Then Petrusky continues. In the third part were found numerous pieces of human skin and parts of the aorta in a gelatinous mass. A bowl on a table in his room was filled with amber-coloured fat that appeared to be human. Biological tests gave a weak positive result for the presence of human protein. In the shed in which the meat pieces were found was also a bowel of full of bones that were cleaned of tendons, muscles, etc. That most probably have been priorly cooked. The investigation initially revealed the existence of six forearm bones, which means that they belonged to three people at least. Another traces were found behind the shed. A part of a leg remained in the pond that Denke had dug many years before, and also skeletal pieces were uncovered in the local forest. Here is the full list 
what has been sent to us for examination. 16 dreamers, of which one pair of remarkably strong ones, two pairs of very thin ones, six pairs and two left femurs, 15 medium-sized pieces of long bones, four pairs of elbow bones, seven heads of red eye, nine lower parts of red eye, eight lower parts of the elbow, a pair of upper shin bone, a pair of lower elbows and red eye, of which extremities still remain well connected, a pair of upper arms and a pair of upper heads, a pair of collarbones, two shoulder blades, eight heels and ankle bones, 120 toes and phalanx, 65 feet and metacarpal bones, five first ribs and 150 pieces of ribs. All bones, with the exception of a few, were very light, porous and fatness. In the municipal forest remained as well as made as well parts of a spine and four parts of a clean dissected male pelvis, which on one side showed traces of saw cutting. Only one piece of head bone was found. This is a piece of the inferior petrosol senus area. Dragged on the front side, it looks broken and bears visible signs of sharp sawing on its top. This piece of bone is cross-marked with ink. Given the size and condition of the bones, we can assume that there was one particular strong individual. Two others were of delicate bone structure. Another suffered from coxarera. The cutting surfaces of the bones are jagged, as if blunt force was applied, such as the blunt end of an axe or a hammer. Some bones were visibly sawed, few spots, so traces of a sharp tool, an axe most probably. Similarly, such traces were found on the articulations which must have been cut with a knife. Based on these findings, we were able to declare that the bones sent to us belonged to at least eight people. Of course, other bones were yet to be uncovered over the years to come. The last pieces, including head bones, were found in the late 1940s, just after World War II, by now Polish inhabitants of the house. Considerably more revealing was Denker's dental collection. We received a total of 351 teeth. These were found in a money bag and in two tin boxes, on which pepper and salt was written, as well as in three paper bags, which were destined to keep pepper. They were partly sorted according to their size. The molars were in the money bag, while the others in the two boxes and in the paper bag. In yet another paper bag were teeth that belonged probably to a single person, and in a third bag, three lower incisors were found with strongly atrophic. This one came probably from an old individual, all teeth, with the exception of six, were well preserved. The investigation led us to very notable results. The remains of the bones were definitely of a minimum of eight victims. However, other circumstances of the case make it likely that the number of victims was much higher. The teeth that were found belonged certainly to at least 20 people. Professor Euler noted that, however, that some individual teeth appear more than twice as often than is statistically expected. This concerns second premolars and incisors, suggests that there might have been even more victims. The fact that the majority of victims suffered from caries leads us to think 
that the number of victims was higher. In addition, it must be stated that people in old age lacked proper dental treatment. Professor Euler estimates cautiously that the teeth belonged to at least 25 individuals. The extractions were done in different ways. Some teeth seemed to have been taken out quite easily due to senile atrophy, while others were rather solidly rooted and extracted with force. In many cases, we discerned parts of the alveolar wand. Some specimens, especially the molars, and the premolars show fractures in tooth enamel that couldn't have occurred during victim's lifetime. On some, there are traces of claws with very sharp edges. The appearance of some roots seemed to justify the assumption that the jaw had been cooked in advance. Individual teeth have been broken, probably in the process of extraction. Again, Denka had no luck. The last remark sounds a little odd. <clears throat> Especially interesting is the answer to the question of the age of the victims. From the, the list later mentioned, we know nearly all victims. There are no young individuals among them. Now, there are four wisdom teeth that clearly came from the same people or individual that have peculiarities usually found on the teeth of the 50-year-old. The investigation of the other teeth showed that at least four-fifths of the victims were seniors. Professor Julia summarised that among the victims, there was certainly one person who was not older than 16 years old. Seemingly, he did not figure on the mentioned list. While the majority were significantly older than 40 years, two individuals were probably 20 to 30 year old and one between the 30th and 40th year of his life. The tests did not give satisfactory results concerning the sex of the individuals, nor their jobs. For obvious reasons, nothing specific can be said about the time that elapsed after their death. What is certain is only that some teeth have been extracted years ago. The pulling out of the teeth of young people must have taken place many weeks ago. In any case, the study of the teeth brought much more information regarding the number and age of the victims than could be learned from the bones, but it must be taken into consideration that the latter were only partially recovered. These horrific facts from the relatively recent history of Zibitsi were brought to light by day manager Lucinia Bahi, curator of the archive of old printed materials in the university library at Piasek in Wokrow. While going over the catalogue of the Silicon Press, Miss Berry stumbled upon this macabre story from Sibitia's history. She said her discoveries at a popular science conference in Sibitia. It was on this report by the Madame Curator, Cassius Denke, the cannibal of Sibitia, that I based this account. However, this was not really a Cassius, an isolated case. Let us return to Lucinia Bailey's report. The author writes, It is necessary to emphasise that since the beginning of the 20th century on German lands, there have been even more perverse mass murderers, named such as Ludwig Tresnov, come to mind, who raped, killed and dismembered four children in the area of Osnabrück. Friedrich Hamann called the butcher from Hanover, killed about 50 young people, 
and sold the FRS as meat. He was beheaded in 1926. A bank clerk, Fritz Angerstein, from Heiger killed probably seven people. He was sentenced to death in 1925. Finally, Peter Curtin, called the Vampire of Dusseldorf, was accused of nine murders and seven attempted murders. He drank the blood of his victims. He was beheaded on July 2nd, 1931. But to exploit Denke, the mayor of Zabitsa, Tadiuszowski, was faced with quite an issue. On the one hand, it was hard to imagine a persona more despicable than Karl Denker, who does not exactly bring positive fame to the town. This executioner's coin has two sides. For do not famous murderers, all kinds of torture chambers and other human perversions lure the curious? A rhetorical question. Let us think how we can exploit our cannibal, Scummy said the mayor. Perhaps in our museum of household goods in the town hall building, we could give him a little corner. Maybe we should mark the place where he lives, although we wouldn't want to disturb the current peaceful residents of Stabora Street. There are three new houses standing there now, and no longer any trace of Denker's shop. Carl Denker was a peaceful, sober-minded, pedantic and devout citizen of Sibise, claimed Gregors, the creator of the Denker exhibit, pictured with the figure of a beggar, belonging to the Sibise artist Langer, as it turns out he was a murderer and cannibal as well, who chose beggars as his victims. Lucinia Bally, creator of the archive of old printed materials, in the University Library at Plasak in Rocklaw, after an exhaustive analysis of the pre-war press published in the Zabkowitz, Slasky and Sibice brought Karl Denke, the Sibice cannibal, back to life. The son of a wealthy farmer, Karl Denk, was born 12th of August 1870. Details on this serial killer are sketchy, but here is a summary of the information that I have. Karl Denke lived in Munsterberg, Silesia, Germany, now Sibice, Poland. He is believed to have killed between eight, between 30 and 40 people, primarily journeymen and homeless persons. Reports state that he had been engaging in cannibalism for several years prior to his capture. There are rumours that he actually sold human meat. He killed all his victims in his house on Stowara Street. Apparently, Karl Denker was well-liked in the community before his arrest. He is known to have been called Vata Denker, which translates to Father Denker or Papa Denker by the locals. He also served as the organ blower for his local church. On December 21, 1924, a coachman by the name of Gabriel heard cries for help, which seemed to emanate from Denker's room. Gabriel rushed down to help and found a young man named Vincenzo Oliver staggering along the corridor blood streaming from his open scalp. Before he fell unconscious on the floor, the victim blurted out that Vata Denker had attacked him with an axe. Police were summoned and arrested Denker, scouring his apartment for evidence. They turned up identification papers for 12 travelling journeymen, plus assorted items of male clothing. In the kitchen, two large tubs held meat pickled in brine, 
with the assorted bones and pots of fat. Detectives reckoned that it added up to 30 victims, more or less. In Denka's ledger, they found listed names and dates with the respective rates of bodies he had pickled dating back to 1921. He killed himself in prison the night of his capture. Reports state that he hung himself with a noose fastened from a handkerchief, leaving historians with no explanation or motive for his actions. His life was investigated by Lucinia Bally, the custodian of Silesian Library of Wacklow in the summer of 1999. Miss Bialy based her research on the German press of 20s. Her work was published by editor Tadeusz Dutz in the Gazette Robuxa and Gazette Wacklowska. This article is one of the ones below. The Household Equipment Museum in Zibice held an exhibition from July-August of 1999. The exhibit was entitled An Ancient Iconography, Iconography of Zibice and featured tools used by Goldenk in his crimes. Reb's master, the information in articles below is likely to be the most accurate information available currently on Goldenka. It is from a very reliable source and is much closer to the original sources than anything I have got on my hands on. For those interested in how rumours get started, there are a few different versions of Carl Denker's story in print and on the internet. There are a couple of myths. 1. He was not an innkeeper. Apparently this rumour was started because of a bad German translation. No German sources that I have found say that he was an innkeeper, but most English sources do. 2. He died in 1924 not 1942. At one point, someone reversed the numbers and printed the information, with 1942 as the year of his death. This has been repeated by several others. 3. Many sources say that he hung himself with suspenders rather than a handkerchief. While that makes more sense, it is apparently untrue. And I will, of course, insert the link to the article for you to peruse at your own leisure but as for the very first episode that will be all for this week's true crime case on the cannibal of Zabice Carl Denk as of yet I don't have any social media made but I will be sure to let you all know in the next episode but until then enjoy the rest of your evening have a fantastic week, and I will see you in the next one. I wonder if God got a plan for everyone. I wonder if I could take a second run. Cause I carry on getting sad and getting stuck. What I wouldn't give for a life that doesn't suck. I'm a moving target. 